Morning, family. Welcome this morning. Glad that you are here. Uh, We're going to get right to work this morning, so I encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a hardbacked black one nearby that you can uh, use this morning. And if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Please take it. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 2, and this morning we're going to read the whole chapter together as we finish up chapter 2 this morning. We'll be reading verses 1 through 23. We'll read the chapter together, and at the end of that reading I'll say that this is the word of the Lord, and invite you then to respond by saying thanks be to God. Let's begin. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted." So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
It's interesting, isn't it, that the Bible would take so much time to tell us about one day in the life of one woman who went out in a field and gleaned some grain. I mean, think about that for a second. That's literally what we've just read about. We read a very uh, in-depth description of one woman who went out in a field and gathered some grain. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why does the Holy Spirit not only pay such attention to this one woman gathering grain in the field on one day, but why take the time to explain to us what's happening in this description of one woman gathering grain in one field on one day that really is insignificant to us in so many ways. Why? I believe that it is because in this picture of Ruth going out and gathering and gleaning this this barley, we get to see a picture of her Redeemer. And we began to see this picture last week in how Boaz begins to provide for Ruth in the midst of this time. And I I want you to see this picture. She goes out in the field. She works all day. In fact, even already before the the noonday meal, the the man who's in charge of the reaping has to say, uh, the way the King James puts it, she's taken up residence here. There's a sense, excuse me, excuse me, praise God. (coughs) There is a sense in which Ruth's gleaning and her industry in the field must be different than the rest of the people who might come to glean along the edges of the field. Why? Well, we know from the passages we've already looked at in the Old Testament that God had set it up, that in these fields He had commanded that they were not to glean all the way to the edges, but to leave the edges for the poor. That whatever, while they were gleaning, they dropped, they were to leave and not go over their field again, so that the foreigner and the sojourner and the poor could come by and glean what was left behind? We know this already. But what do we see about Ruth? We see that Ruth did not simply come in her poverty and in her state to come and glean along the edges of the field and pick up what was left behind so that she could then get enough for that day and go home and make some barley bread for her and Naomi to eat. She did not simply come and gather just enough so that they could have just enough for them to eat on that day. But what do we see Ruth doing? The the reaper says she's taken up residence here. She won't quit. She just keeps coming. And she's gathering and gathering and gathering. What, What do we see? What's happening here? We see Ruth is employing herself to care for Naomi and for herself, not in so much as so she can go and just get enough for today, but rather she's looking to the future so that she can begin to provide for her mother-in-law. What does this mean? It means that there was something unique going on here where rather than simply relying on the, the certain laws that were available to Ruth and Naomi so that they could just get by, uh, kind of living off the, the, the work of others and, and just getting what they needed to get by, Ruth was beginning to employ herself in such a way that at the end of this book, we will hear the other women of the town say that Ruth 
was more worth, of more worth to Naomi than many sons. Why? Because it was a son. It was a son who should have cared for Naomi in the death of her husband. But both of her sons had died. It was the son that should have cared for both Ruth and Naomi. But the son, the husband, and the sons had died. And we see Ruth employing herself to take care of Naomi. But as she does this, and where is this coming from? We see the motivation behind her effort and her work coming from this confession that she's made that said, I'm going to go with you. And where you go, I'm going to go. And who you worship, I'm going to worship. And your people will be my people. She's not just along for the ride. She's there to be a partner with Naomi in this life. And we see that her confession is justified to us by her works. And we see that here in the field. And we've talked about that a little bit already. But what happens? We see the grace and the favor of the Lord of the harvest being applied to her effort. And what does Ruth say about this? She says, who am I that you have taken notice of me? Who am I that you have taken notice of me? And we looked at this last week as we said that Boaz, we're starting to see this picture of Jesus in Boaz as this Lord of the harvest who not only cares for his own workers, but allows the, the abundance of his favor to overflow to this foreign woman, this Moabitess woman, as he begins to care for her, to take notice of her. And was it not enough to allow her to get right up among the sheaves? And, and he, he tells the workers not to embarrass her. Why? Because likely she didn't know all of the etiquette that was uh, needed here. She, she's from the place where everyone just got in the field and worked. She didn't know that she was going to be able to come behind. And so he says, even if she gathers among the sheaves, let her come and don't rebuke her. In other words, don't embarrass her for her lack of knowledge. And so we see Boaz caring even for this, as we would see it rightly, a, a young convert, a new convert. And, and he's, he's working with those who are already in the field saying, don't embarrass her, but rather let her come and don't rebuke her and what does he say? He says, even take from your sheaths and it's not enough to just miss some. I want you to pull some out. You've already worked for, but it's my field. And I want you to pull some out and leave it behind so that she has more than enough as he watches her not just gathering what she can gather for today, but he sees her employing herself to care for her, her mother-in-law. But not only that, what happens in verse 14? It would have been enough. But he goes further. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and drip, dip your morsel in the wine. So now she's been brought into a place of, of honor, a, a place to sit likely where, where there is comfort, maybe perhaps some shade. We see that Boaz is encouraging her to drink from the vessels that they had drawn from the well in Bethlehem and, and come and, and to be uh, resuscitated from her work, to take rest in the hottest part of the day. And not only that, she sat and she ate from the bread and dipped it in the wine, but then he passes to her what seems to be an even greater delicacy of roasted grain. Now someone has taken time to take some of the, the fruit of the harvest and to step back and fire up the grill, if you will, and, and begin to, to roast some grain, to, to, to put purpose now behind this meal. And now it's not just about, um, it's not just about sustenance, but now is about enjoyment. As she tastes the roasted grain, she's welcomed at the table. And not only that, what does it say? It says she ate until she was satisfied. 
and she had some left over. And what do we find? We find that even those leftovers, she wasn't required to leave behind, but rather she was able to take, gather those and take them back so that when she comes home with her ephah of barley, she also comes with the doggy bag of leftovers. And not only was she satisfied with what was eaten, but now Naomi also is able to eat from those leftovers and is satisfied. What do we see here? We see, first of all, abundant provision. Abundant provision. She ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. This is going to come into play later in the narrative. However, we see this theme, one of our themes. What is this theme that we're seeing? We're seeing as God is bringing Ruth from a place of emptiness. When she gets to the field, she has nothing. But God brings her from a place of emptiness to a place of fullness, doesn't he? When she leaves the field, she goes back with more even than what she was able to gather. She leaves with more than what she would have been able to glean if Boaz hadn't instructed the, the reapers around her to help. She, she leaves with more than what she even was able to eat as she takes home the leftovers. And so we see God bringing Ruth from emptiness to fullness. And it's not mere provision, but it is abundant provision. She has some left over. It's interesting, isn't it, to even think about some of the things that are happening in a microcosm in this one day in Ruth's life. Think about this. She has journeyed through the wilderness to the promised land. And in coming to the promised land and having no bread of her own, she comes into a field that does not belong to her and begins to pick up from the ground bread that God has provided. And not just enough for today, but enough to provide not only for her, but for her whole household and to have some left over. Not only that, but in the midst of this land where she has come to as she's journeyed through the wilderness with nothing of her own, and she has nothing to drink, what does God provide but water from the rock, from the Bethlehem well for her to drink? Can we not, in this simple description of one woman in a field on one day gathering some grain, see in what was happening for her in providing for her that it's almost like God is bringing her through this wilderness experience just like the Israelites had gone through. Why? Because he was grafting her into his family. He was grafting her into his family, providing bread and water, and not only that, but wine. Delicacy, abundant provision, not just for sustenance, but even for enjoyment. Why? Because that's how God provides. That's how he provides. And it's a picture of how He will provide ultimately for us when one day we will sit at a table set by our Redeemer, filled with every delicacy that we will share with Him in the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amen? Not only that, but this is not now magically appearing. We can see the provision of the bread, but it's, it's, it's in someone's field. We see the provision of the water, but it's not just water that's now springing from a rock on its own because Moses uh, smacked it a couple times, right? Rather, we see that this provision is coming personally to Ruth. It's coming through a person. It's coming. It's not magically appearing, but rather it is being provided by one we will come later to see as her Redeemer, but as of yet is simply one 
in whom eyes she has found favor. Is that not how we first come to see our Redeemer? Before we even realize what He has done in redeeming us, all we are able to see in the beginning is that for some reason, somehow, in some way, we have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> How often do we ask the question, like children not understanding the totality of the work that our Father was doing for us in Christ. And like children in the beginning, how often do we ask, why me? Right? Like children, we say, what, what did we do to deserve this? What does a father say to a child who says, what did I do to deserve your favor? <laughs> Nothing. I love you because you're mine. I love you because you're mine. And where have we heard this before? She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. Does that not... There's something about that that kind of like rings a bell, doesn't it? Haven't we heard that somewhere before? They ate and were satisfied and had some left over. I'm, it's, it's right there. It's, somebody help me. Is this not what we see Jesus doing in the feeding of the multitudes? Look at Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. The first gospel account of Jesus feeding of the multitudes. And by the way, according to all the gospel accounts, it seems like he did this more than once. Matthew 14, verse 13. Jesus hearing about the death of John the Baptist. It says, Now when, he heard, when Jesus heard this, about the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there, where he was, in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. How could we interpret that? He had compassion on them. Could we not say that the crowd found favor in the sight of our Lord? He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Listen to this. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women, and children. I knew that we had heard this somewhere before, right? What, what's happening here? We're, we're seeing in Boaz a, a shadowy reflection of a true and better Redeemer who's going to come, and He's going to provide for His 
people, for his bride. Right? He's going to provide. And he's going to provide abundantly in such a way that not only will they eat and be satisfied, but there'll be even more left over. And so as we read Ruth and we see this happening, this, this very simplistic thing that's happening with this one woman on this one day in this obscure field outside of Bethlehem, this little stinky shepherdy town, we cannot help but see little shafts of light coming out of the narrative that are pointing us to Jesus. And as Matthew records this feeding of the 5,000, of this provision of bread and meat in abundance, miraculously, Was Matthew not trying to show the Israelite people to whom he was writing his gospel account? Can you not see the one who brought manna in the wilderness has come among us? The one who brought meat in abundance has come among us. And this time, not because we were murmuring for it. but because in love, in compassion, we found favor in his eyes and he has richly provided for us. Now, did everyone get it? No. <laughs> no, they didn't. Did everyone get it in, Israel, in, the, in the Hebrew camp, in the wilderness? No, they didn't. But God still provided, didn't he? But we see something in Ruth, don't we? As we read through the rest of chapter 2, did Ruth get it? Yeah. Ruth got it. She understood. Ruth is having her own manna season and God is providing bread on the ground for her. But she still has to gather it. Sometimes I think that we're waiting around for God to take the manna that He's provided for us, the barley that He's provided for us in the field, and just put it in our cupboards. We keep going and looking at the cupboards, and they're empty and they're dry, and we're wondering why God hasn't gathered the grain, thrashed it about, milled it, baked it, wrapped it and put it in our cupboards for us. Even the manna didn't end up magically in containers in the Israelites' tents. They had to go out and they had to gather it, didn't they? And here Ruth is gathering faithfully in the field. And as she does, she sees God's provision. Let me tell you, don't be fooled do not be fooled into thinking by your hunting, gathering, working, dealing that you have somehow provided for yourself. Do not be fooled into thinking that the, the business or the person or the entity that stamps your check is somehow your provider. But recognize that where you are working as you apply yourself faithfully in that field, that God is the one who is using the means of that field to richly provide for you and for your family. Amen. Don't be fooled into thinking that somehow you have provided for yourself. Ruth and Naomi, they see that. And what do we see in verse 20? They, they praise God. Look at verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. It's, I love how in this, this chapter we see two different people breaking into spontaneous prayer as a part of normal conversation like nothing's weird about that. 
both Boaz and Naomi break into spontaneous prayer for someone in the midst of their conversation. Did you see how Boaz prayed for Ruth in her conversation? What did, what did he say? Boaz is telling her that all these things have been told to him. Verse 12, he says, The Lord repay, excuse me, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's a prayer. That's a prayer. I think we should take some encouragement for that. Sometimes we think that we've got to like stop everything and gather some people up and, you know, bow our heads, close our eyes, hold hands and say, dear Heavenly Father and in Jesus' name before we can pray. But here we see two different people spontaneously breaking out into prayer in the middle of a conversation like it's no big deal. Why? Because it's no big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not a weird deal, right? Something about Paul saying we should pray without ceasing begins to, but anyways. Ruth and Naomi praise God and bless the means he has used to provide for them. And so Ruth brings home this ephah of barley. What's an ephah of barley? Can I tell you? I didn't know. I had to look it up. Okay, so if you don't know, it's all right. I didn't know either. It's about 22 liters or 30 pounds of threshed barley. Thirty-three pounds. Now we understand what the young man who was in charge of the reaping was saying when he's like, she's taking up residence here, man. She's making us look bad. She won't stop. We keep trying to take a break, but she won't stop, so we can't take a break. We're getting worn out by this woman. Help! 33 pounds of threshed barley she brings home, which was useful not only for their subsistence, but what, is, what are Ruth and Naomi going to do with 33 pounds of barley? Take it into the market and sell it. Take it into the market and sell it. We see here God richly providing. We see Ruth employing herself to care for her widowed mother-in-law. In this, we have to remember what Paul encourages Timothy when he says that, that the man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever, an infidel in the original language. We need to be reminded that we are called and kids as your parents have provided for you all of your life as you grow old. Do not forget your mother and your father, but seek to take care of your family. It's interesting that as you read how Paul instructs the New Testament churches to care for the people within their midst that he says that the widows and the people who are in the body should be being cared for by their family members so that it is the ones who have no family that then the church is able to come around and help care for them. And so we see Ruth in being provided for, provides for her mother-in-law not only from the barley, but also from the delicacies shared by Boaz. So there's that physical element, that physical encouragement that we should be encouraged to do likewise. But we, can we not also remember that there's another kind of field? There's more than just our workplace field that God has brought us into, but He has made that workplace field a mission field for us. That we are not simply to share 
of the abundance that he has given us. Yes, we ought to share that as well. Yes, we ought to live within our means so that we have something to share with those around us. Yes, we should employ in our own lives the same kind of ideologies that God tried to instill in the Israelite people to not not reap all the way to the edges, not to live all the way to the edges of what God has provided for us, but live within our means so that we have something to share with others. Yes, 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 and amen. That is good, that is honorable, that is faithful, that is true. It allows us to be generous, and as believers we should be generous because God in His grace in Christ has been abundantly generous to us. But that is not the only thing that he has called us to share, is it? The greatest provision, the greatest delicacy that God has provided richly and abundantly for us is the provision of Christ. And he has called us to take and to share what he has provided for us in abundance with others. Church, shall we not also, as we help provide others' physical needs, deal with the most important need, which is their eternal need for Christ. As we share with our family, as we share with those around us that God has caused us to have compassion for, let us not forget the most important thing that they need. Shall we fill their bellies and leave them in hell? May it not be. We must take the gospel. We must take the gospel. And this is what Ruth shares with Naomi. And there's a couple of things going on here. One, yeah, there's like some real physical things we can glean from this. Glean, glean, glean. We're going to glean. Okay. Parents, ask your kids where they've been. Get into their business. And when they get upset about you getting into their business, tell them that you're their parents and you're going to ask them about their business. Listen to Naomi. Where have you been? Who have you been with? Two of the most important questions a parent can ask their children. Where have you been and who have you been with? Why? Because if it's a good place with good people, you can inform, you can undergird and support and celebrate that. But if it's not a good place and it's not with good people, you can bring correction. And rebuke if necessary. Why? Because that's your job. That's your job. You never ask your kids anything and they turn 18 and you don't know where they are or who they're with? We could probably go back somewhere and figure out where you could have started asking them that, right? And if they won't tell you where they've been and who they've been with, then they don't get to go anywhere or be with anybody. <laughs> How do you like them apples, right? Very simple instruction from the text. But that's not all that we see here, is it? We see Ruth coming into the home 33 pounds of thresh barley. Suddenly, a home that was bankrupt is now in business, aren't they? They were bankrupt, and now they got to start putting a business plan together. Like, how are they going to market this barley? What kind of branding? I, no, I doubt they did that, all right? But what's happened now? We see God in the field. Suddenly, Ruth is having 
this abundant provision. We, we've got to remember what is, as you've given, may it be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together and running over, may it be given to your bosom. And we just see Ruth kind of like bringing these 33 pounds of fresh barley into the house. And so she begins to share with Naomi, and now Naomi is kind of brought up to speed to where Ruth was. Naomi was already rich with barley before Ruth got there, wasn't she? She just didn't know it yet. But as Ruth comes in the door, suddenly she's brought up to speed as their family is brought from a place of emptiness to fullness, and they begin to celebrate together. And Naomi very effectively digs into Ruth's business. Where have you been? Who have you been with? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. And what does she say? She says, this man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. What does this mean? It means that in this abundant provision, and Naomi's been around, right? She's from this area. Likely, she's probably never seen a sojourner walk away from a field with a full ephah of barley before. And she is recognizing that something has happened in this field today. And when she hears the name Boaz... She knows that not only has God provided food, but her little matchmaking brain starts turning its wheels. Some of y'all are going to go watch Fiddler on the Roof, I know it. So. Little matchmaking wheels start turning and she thinks maybe, just maybe God hasn't simply provided bread, but maybe he's provided a redeemer. What does she say? Whose kindness has forsaken, has not forsaken the living or the dead, which means what? That somehow in all of this, she's recognizing that Boaz wasn't simply having compassion on Ruth, but Boaz was having compassion on Naomi in recognition of her dead husband and her dead sons and her who she herself felt like she was the living dead. Remember, she had said, don't call me sweet and pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. Call me empty. Call me bitter. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And so Ruth the Moabite said, besides he has said to me, verse 21, you shall keep close by my young men. Sorry, we missed the most important part. Verse 20, Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning, until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. What if? What if when Boaz heard who it was was in his field, knew then, oh, this is Ruth the Moabite who came with Naomi, Her husband was from my clan. I'm one of her redeemers, but uh, 
I mean, I've, I've got enough. But that's, that's two more mouths to feed that I wasn't expecting yesterday. And I mean, the whole Redeemer thing, we're counting on more mouths to feed if that goes well. And not only that, I would have to buy their mortgaged estate that they left behind. Maybe I should encourage her to go glean in somebody else's field. What if he had actually said, hey, guys, I, I want you, look, I know, I know, I know, this Moabite woman, I'm sorry, just getting up in your business, like, just kind of block her out. Make, make life really difficult for her until she gets the picture and just leaves. There's plenty of other fields she can go and glean the edges off those fields. How incredible is it that that's not the story? And yet again, we get a picture of Jesus as he doesn't say, yes, you're welcome to just stay on the fringe, but rather says, come in here with my people and glean with my people as if you were one of them because you're going to be. We get a picture of a Savior who says, after he's fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6, anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Meaning what? that anyone who will come to this Lord of the harvest in his field and bow to him, he says, I will have you. I mean, we read a little bit more and we find out that they would have never shown up in his field or asked him to be there if the Father had not first drawn them. And so Jesus can promise with full assurance If you just so happen, Ruth 2, verse number 3. If you just so happen to come into the field belonging to the Redeemer, I can promise you that anyone who comes will in no wise be cast out. Why? Because while you may have journeyed your way here at the time and the pace and the way that you thought you wanted to come, you need to know that whatever your plan was, God had already directed your steps so that you would be here. Amen? And so we see God richly providing for Ruth. And as he has richly provided for her in bread, in spoiler alert, what will ultimately become a husband, it's just it's just there. This obscure little story is just there. This obscure day of gathering grain in some field outside of Bethlehem. Why? Why does the Holy Spirit go to the trouble of inspiring the writer to record this? Why the detail about the grain and all of this? Why? So that right here we could get just 
a glimmer, little shafts of light breaking through the story that because we've read the rest of the story, we understand he was pointing us to Jesus who has not merely provided our physical needs but has met our greatest need which is to remove our sin sick state so that we might also be grafted in to his family. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? If anybody wants to do just a little bit more homework, um, I'd encourage you to go to First Peter, or sorry, Second Peter one, and read verses three through eleven, where Peter talks about proving our election. And look at that passage and think about what we've seen so far with Ruth and draw a line there between her conversion and the fruit that followed that conversion that proves her election. That's 2 Peter 3, uh, 1, 3 through 11. Um, I think that if if anyone takes the time to walk through that, that they'll be blessed. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your word this morning, and I thank you for this picture of Jesus that we have here in Ruth chapter 2. Lord, this, this glimmer of one who will come and richly provide all that is needed for us. Lord, in this story, we can't help but anticipate what's still needed in the story. Namely, a, a husband and a son. And Lord, I pray that we would feel that anticipation and that expectation here in the story of Ruth, that even as we journey through a season of Advent in our homes and with our families and anticipate celebrating the first coming of Christ, that in this story we would sense that same expectation and anticipation for a coming son who would be provision for your people. But this morning, God, I pray that ultimately we would take an account of our own lives, that we would see the provision that you have made for us in Christ that you would cause our eyes to gaze upon him, our hearts to be humbled, and that you would draw us into worship and adoration for a Redeemer who has richly provided for us everything that we need. We thank you for it this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.